little wet day, but that's okay. We're enjoying a day that God made, so it's perfect. It's perfect. Well, uh, before we get uh, into our worship service, we have Pete Contra with us today, our district executive. He wants to go over the uh, explanation of the pastoral calling process because we're going to call again at the end of this month. And uh, then we're going to have a short congregational meeting, very, very short, in which we will affirm the search committee, the individuals that uh, the deacons have, the deacons have affirmed them. We, as a congregation, have to affirm them also. So, Pete, I'll just turn it over to you. Good morning. It's wonderful to be with all of you this morning. Um, yeah, it's it's been a little while since since I've been here, and uh, knowing that you've had some transition here as Pastor Ryan was called to East Fairview, um, thought it probably a good idea for me just to come up and connect and offer a word of encouragement. So I I connected with Mike and Sandy, and um, there were willing to, to have me in this morning, so uh, so thank you for that. But, um, so yeah, um, you know, I know that, that uh, you have, of course, been through this process before. Uh, it's not a new thing, probably for most of you, but, but uh, it's, it's always good, I think, to, to connect and uh, kind of walk through how all this works as reminders for us. But, uh, um, so I wanted to say, I know he's not in the room at the moment, but uh, thanks to Pastor Sandy and uh, his ongoing service uh, work with, with you, I know uh, that's been, a, at least from what I hear, uh, been a good relationship uh, for all of you. So uh, that's a blessing and uh, glad to hear that and know that. I'm grateful to Sandy uh, for that as well. Uh, and to Mike, as, as Mike's kind of a, my other main contact here. Uh, so appreciate that. Um, so, you know, as again, as, as some of you at least know that, that um, as this goes in a pastoral transition, you know, with, with Pastor Sandy and Ryan sharing or splitting that halftime position, each having a quarter time role, um, we're just working at this, you know, as I think Sandy, you know, handed his resignation letter in. Uh, just to be able to open up the full discernment process. Um, but but I think our goal is to work toward another quarter-time position to complement Sandy uh, as, as it was with Ryan. So uh, that is what we will work toward. Um, seemed to work well for, for you. So uh, a first step is Mike named is to form a search committee when we have this search process. Um, and that committee is representative of you as a congregation, um, which is an important, uh, very important piece of the process that, that um, you as a congregation are involved in this and, and have that final say, if you will, in the call process. Um, so 
all of you are involved uh, in that respect, uh, but the search committee will do that work and be working directly with me in the process as we look at potential candidates that are out there. And so, um, so you know, I'm obviously already been aware of this going on and, and looking at, at those potential candidates, um, but this, this steps us a little more officially, if you will, uh, into the process. Uh, so, you know, and, and uh, who, who will be that, that good fit? Um, who is God uh, connecting with? Um, you know, who's God tapping on that shoulder uh, to come and, and serve here? And so that's what we want to be in prayer about. And so once uh, the search committee, as we've done the work, agrees on a candidate, um, that's when we enter into the negotiation process, as we call it, with that person and you as the congregation uh, to work out those details of, of what that will mean for that person to, to come and serve here as a part-time pastor. Uh, and so again, that's a process you've probably been part of before. Um, so yeah, then as I said, um, as we finalize those negotiations, as we've done in the past, and uh, we typically have a weekend uh, where maybe, maybe in this case just a Sunday, but, but a time for you to meet, for the congregation to, to meet the candidate, um, have, ask some of your own questions, get to know the person, um, and have that person preach and come and worship and have that final vote then as a congregation on a Sunday. Um, and again, as I said, you know, invite you to, to keep this in prayer. It's so important for God's leading in this process, uh, certainly uh, for God to, to move in that person whom uh, he has uh, to come here to Conewago to make that clear, and, and also uh, for your discernment uh, in this as well, and for all of us that are working together. That's pretty much a, a quick overview. Uh, don't need to belabor it, but, but wanted to just give a word of encouragement that God's got it. Um, you know, it's, it's in, the, in the congregations that I continue to work with, it's always amazing to me how God moves and, and just brings that right person. And so it, uh, just invite patience in the process and to trust that, that God's got it for sure. Um, any questions that, that anybody has in all of this? You can, of course, channel them uh, through Mike uh, as you might. <laughs> That's right. And I'll try. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good, good team, and yeah, I know, uh, I know you've connected well with Sandy too. So, yeah. so yeah, that's that's good, and we'll keep working at that for sure. Yeah. All right, yeah, yeah. So we can go into your your meeting. Um, 
I can, or I didn't know if someone else was going to needed a word to, to say to uh, well, open I up can, the meeting. I guess we can do it together. What's that? I guess we can do it together. Sure. <laughs> oh, I am on. Okay. Uh, well, what has happened is we had a search team last last uh, time when we, we called Sandy and Pastor Ryan. And basically the same people that were in the search committee that time are serving or are willing to serve this time. With the exception of Bill Kettering is not serving and in his place Davey Coble is serving. And Pete has a list. I have a list. Uh, I can read them for you. Uh, it would be Christine Baker, myself, Amy Baumgartner, Davey Coble, Joel Kozer, Elaine Nydick, and Tina Shope. So there's seven of us there, which is an odd number with, by design. And uh, that is the proposed group of people that have been affirmed by the deacon, deacons and are offered to the congregation for approval. So. Yeah. Uh, so we, we talked uh, this morning that, that um, I can officially oversee the votes since Mike's on the list uh, to serve in that way. So um, are, there, are there any questions? Uh, appreciate the, the process that you've taken uh, with the deacons to, to call these folks to serve in this way. Any questions uh, regarding the process that we're in right now? So we will yeah, take a vote. I don't, did you have, did you want to do it by ballot? I didn't, I didn't really ask, just hand. Okay. Um, any, any questions at all? search committee as it's been presented to you. Uh, all in favor of approving this search committee, please raise your hand. Thank you. Did you want to, I, I didn't officially count. Uh, let's do it again. Let me get official count. your hand. Okay, thank you. So 18 to 1. Uh, so in favor of the search committee. So thank you for that and I look forward to working with all of you as we continue on in this journey. Yeah, thank you, Pete. That will end our congregational meeting. I don't think we need a, a vote to end. Uh, we're going to call on Pete. Pete's going to give us a, a, a devotional and prayer, and then we're going to go into our announcements. Uh, so, Pete, I, sorry you had to go over there and sit down. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so um, I wasn't sure how long a devotional is supposed to be, but uh, it'll, it won't be. It's not sermon-like, so. Um, but I appreciate the opportunity, and, and um, it's an opportunity to share uh, really what, what um, well, a word, the word message that, that, that I continue to share and bring is, as I do get around to other congregations, uh, for us as the church together. Um, as you know, as we're uh, individual congregations, you know, as we're doing our work, as, as God is leading where, where you are in your context, uh, we know that there are many of us within Atlantic Northeast District uh, that are serving together and within the Church of the Brethren. And, um, and we know uh, in the climate we're in right now, I mean, we've Church of the Brethren, we've had some of our own issues, um, but you know, there's that, of course. There's our political climate that we're in, right? Uh, that's not a secret. Uh, we've had COVID that we've all been dealing with. It's added a layer of stress, and we've seen some of the, a lot of good that, that uh, we have seen in people stepping up and, and meeting needs and serving one another. Uh, but sometimes we see the not so good. Uh, side what that that stress that can bring out um, uh, in in each of us sometimes and so there's so many of those things always at work and not to mention just you know what's happening in your own lives right um, that can put strain on us and and our relationships and that's that's what I want to share about uh, this morning the what what is most important for us so hear this word from uh, Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 12, and I'll be beginning with verse 28, um, and we'll get in in a minute to what's happening before uh, verse 28, this long interaction that Jesus has with some of the religious leaders as they're trying to pin him down on different things, but uh, I'll start with Mark 12, verse 28 says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, excuse me, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> In other words, he put them in their place, right? 
Um, so I'll step back to uh, my first pastorate because, of course, I did serve as pastor for over 20 years at a few congregations. And, and uh, uh, my first pastorate was my home congregation, Spring Creek, just up the road here where I grew up. And, uh, you know, young, very young family, first time, and I showed up and, you know, thinking, wow, yes, you know, how great. You know, I'm pastor, pastor at home. I mean, what could be better? You know, this is going to be fields of flowers and unicorn bliss, rainbows forever, right? Perfect, you know, happily ever after like some Norman Rockwell painting. Well, then something happened. People showed up. People showed up and messed up the whole thing. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, we, we can be a messy people sometimes, right? Uh, now, you know, God has created each one of us uniquely loved by him. You are gifted. Uh, you are, uh, not to say it sound like a, you know, a commercial, but you are special. Uh, you are, in God's eyes, a child of God. But we know we, we can have our issues sometimes too, right? Um, with all that goes on in life, we can get distracted sometimes by what is most important. And that's our relationships. Relationships. And so we need to ask ourselves always every day, ourselves as individuals and for us as the church, what is most important in your life? What's most important? Like I said, I think it's safe to say, you know, these past whatever it is now, 10 months, well, it's been a year, over a year since, since we've been dealing with COVID, um, reminds us of our vulnerability, frailty as human beings, um, made me clear, I think many of us clear, you know, as we've had to isolate to do those things, how important our relationships are, contact with other human beings, right? Um, and with all the other things going on, uh, some challenges for us, but the bottom line is that we all need the same things as human beings. We need love, acceptance, purpose, which come through our relationships with God, through Christ, and with one another. What is most important in your life? Or maybe another way to say it is, what do you value most? Um, you see, because that's one of those pesky little questions that you can't hide from, right? Um, you know, I can say that, oh, yes, this or that thing is most important in my life. But the choices I make and the things that I do every day that is going to tell other people what is most important. I can say all kinds of stuff. What I do 
is really what's going to show people what's most important. If someone had access to, you know, every moment of your life for a week, everything you do in your life, if someone could watch from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep, when you come to Saturday night, what would that person say? Yes, this is what's most important in Mike's life. I can see that clearly. It's a big question. So whatever that may look like for each of us, as God has created us in his image and likeness, he's made it clear that the most important thing for us even though we might forget it sometimes, it's our relationships, relationship with him and others. Our struggle is uh, there are times when we elevate other things above that, right? So the question is, what are those for you? What about for us as the church? So, I'll jump back into the scene that, that we, we heard from uh, in Mark with Jesus. Uh, I step back to Mark 11. That Jesus, you know, we just recently uh, came through uh, Holy Week, Easter. And, you know, Jesus enters Jerusalem. The crowds shout their hosannas, right? The next day, Jesus goes to the temple. He sees how they've turned it into a business. They got off what is most important, right? He begins driving out all those who are buying and selling and exchanging money. Of course, that doesn't sit well with uh, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. So there's this long back and forth exchange uh, that happens with Jesus and them. Uh, They start asking him, you know, by what authority, Jesus, are you doing this? Who gave you the authority to do this, you know? Who anointed you king, right? Then they look for a way to arrest Jesus because he tells the parable of the talents, which is not flattering uh, for them. It's really talk being critical of them. Uh, so they look away for a way to arrest Jesus, to put an end to this. Uh, then they... We don't hear about this now, right? Then they get into this political question, try to trap Jesus with a political question about paying taxes or not to Caesar. Well, then they get into another theological question with Jesus about some convoluted question about who will be whose wife in heaven. Just all a way to try to get at him. Sounds familiar sometimes. One after another, they come at Jesus, and one after another, they're put in their place by him. Right? As we heard at the end of that, then they dared, no one dared ask him any more questions because he silenced them. But in the midst of all of that, the teacher of the law kind of steps in, right? There with Jesus, and he says, Okay, Jesus, you're, we're hearing all this stuff. What is most important? What is it? In the midst of all the noise and all the emotion and all the pride, right? 
Here stands Jesus and the teacher of the law, not only speaking the truth, but living it out in front of everybody. What is most important? Jesus says, hear, O Israel, our Lord, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. Because we all have things that we hold that are important in our lives. There's a lot of things that are important in our lives, absolutely. Good things. But there is none more important than the great commandment. Because when we truly live into that, as Jesus says elsewhere, then everything else in our lives will follow. Even though there are many other important things in this world to know and to do, we must be careful not to raise those up higher than God's command to love, which is our whole selves given unto him through Jesus Christ and his purpose that he's shown us in Christ. See, because we know when we, when we are in love with God and transformed by him through Jesus Christ, uh, it changes, it transforms who we are. We want to please God with our lives. Uh, everything we do becomes for the purpose of pleasing God and doing his will, at least trying. And when you put it that way, that, that changes us a, a bit. It takes it out of some legalistic checklist, right, of oh, right living, right thinking, I'm doing everything perfectly, or alignment with this or that party into a beautiful union with God through Jesus Christ and with all others whom God loves as well. So God showed us what his love is about through Christ. As Jesus said it, coming into this world to love it, to save it, not condemn it. You know, I hear, so often I hear, by far I hear what everybody's always against. You know, I'm against this, I'm against this, I'm against, you know, point fingers, constantly condemning Jesus didn't do that. I mean, yeah, he didn't say that everything was right and good in the world, no. But he said, I came to save the world, not condemn it. That's a, that's a big shift. That's a big shift. Showing us that our neighbor, as we're called to love, right, that our neighbor is any given person on any given day whom we are in contact with, even those that I really don't feel like bothering with. Even those that really mm, get at me. Because as Romans tells us, Jesus came while we were yet sinners. Enemies of God, his word says, to save us. He, he loved us first. And he showed us what that love is. Walking with us through this world all the way. All the way. Um... I thought about it, you know, I thought, he didn't say one day, you know, as he, he comes from perfection, right, and comes into this world, which is not perfect, 
uh, with us who are not perfect. And imagine one day Jesus looking around in all this mess. Says, you know what? (laughs) You folks, you really are messed up. I'm going back. You know, I'm done with all of you. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going back to my Father in heaven. Thank you, God, that, that you didn't do that. No, Jesus stayed. He stuck it out because of his love for us. He walked with us all the way, all the way to the cross to die for us so that we might have life, that we all might be transformed in him. That's our example. Steadfast, long-suffering, always hopeful. That is who we are called to be to one another, to the world. Again, not not accepting that all things are okay and good. No, because they're not. But loving each other enough that I want you, I want us all to be transformed in him. I heard a quote from someone recently as we were talking about the struggles and all this together. Um, As hard as it can be sometimes to do all this, that sometimes my prayer is, I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be willing. I love that. I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be willing. Um, I'm, I'm open, God, to take the step. I know I'm not there right now with this person or this group or whatever it is. I'm not there right now, but Lord, I'm willing to take the step to get there. Create in me a willing heart, Lord. So, uh, just wanna, want to end on a thought um, perspective on all of this. I, I'm Fascinated with the timelessness of God, his eternal presence, that, you know, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, uh, that, that there is no time with God as we understand it. Second uh, Peter 3.8 says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. I can sit for an entire day in that thought, just be fascinated. That how fleeting a moment in time really is. Yet in that, for God, how expansive that moment is. We're like grass. God's word says, here today and gone tomorrow. Yet when we walk in union with our Lord, such a life and existence can glimpse how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, as Ephesians says. His presence and grace, which is fully there in each moment. Man is but a breath. Psalm 94 tells us, and so we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Yet it is by his breath 
that we know life in each of ours. And so, by his grace, see one another in such a fleeting, yet expansive glory of existence. There's glory in the grass. It's living in that awareness of the power and beauty and holy presence of God in each moment. Seeing that in each other. So I'm thankful, thankful for his church to know that his love is steadfast even as we waver. There's so much for us to do in his name that may we be his faithful servants. Pray without ceasing. Love without conditions. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for this day. Thank you, God, for this day. It's a good day, as Brother Mike said. Uh, it's perfect because you are here within it. You have given it to us. Lord, I thank you for your love pour out, poured out upon us through your son, Jesus Christ, that you gave your all so that we might give our all to you for the sake of one another. Lord, lead us, just continue to break our hearts open to you. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. I pray your blessing upon Conewago and all your churches, Lord, as we do your work. May we continue to be a blessing and shine your light in our communities. Just continue to remind us, Lord, of what is most important, and that is our relationship with you and one another. Lord, bless Conewago and, and their search process and this transition. We know, Lord, that, that we trust you in it all, that you've got it. Forgive us, God, when, when we fall short and we forget, lose our footing in this world with you, but, but uh, we praise you for your grace, your forgiveness. May we live out of that as well in all that we do. We ask your blessing on us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pete. Welcome. Okay, we're going to take a vote as to uh, calling Pete as our other quarter pine pastor. <laughs> appreciate your willingness to be here, Pete, and, and the willingness to give us those words through your devotion. That's very good. That's what we like. We, we enjoy your leadership. Good. Thank you. Well, the next on our agenda is announcements. I don't particularly have anything to point out other than what we've already gone over. Uh, we did have a, a, a work day here on Wednesday. Mel, was that correct? How did that go? Okay. Okay. All right. Good. Good.
did that? A landscaper. Who was the landscaper? Miss Goldie. Wonderful. Thank you, Goldie. You know, when Earl was active with our church, and now he's been ill and has been away, he, he was really into making the church look beautiful. And we did that, and we got to keep that up in memory of, well, not in memory of him, but in, in regard to his work, because Earl will be back with us. Now, I do have uh, something else to point out here, folks. In your bulletin, on the second page, uh, we're going to switch two hymns, the placement of two hymns, uh, because uh, of what the devotion reading for Elaine, uh, I'll Fly Away, and Victory in Jesus. We're just going to flip-flop those so that we have uh, I'll Fly Away after Elaine's devotion reading. Okay, I already checked it out with, uh, with the pianist, and she said if we have to do it, she's willing to do it this one time. <laughs> no, Megan is, Megan is a blessing to us, and we really appreciate it. Well, let's, let's move on. Let's go to our joys and concerns. And uh, Christine, do you have any updates that you need to give to us? Okay, let me get over there. Yes, I need to give updates with uh, Cordia Bechtel and Karen Bechtel. Donna Noel called me this morning and said she couldn't be here and wants to give an update for these people. Uh, starting with Cordia, she's still in Hershey Med Center. Uh, last, yeah, April, Monday, April the 5th, both of these women were having tests being done, of course, that I had announced before. Yes. Cordia's at the Med Center. They did not do the bone graft, but they did a type of just a shaping the bone, but didn't do an actual, they did some surgery and that's what it was. Cordia following that had been very confused. Then they followed up with a chest X-ray. Okay, now we're not finding much there either with Cordia. Okay, she's still having confusion. Now she's having small seizures. Uh, still confused, then she was better, thinking they may be able to bring her home. Okay. Now we're back to confusion. Uh, did a cat, checked with their CAT scan they had done. Found out she had a small stroke. So apparently now we are to finally pinpointing what's going on here in this woman. She's having some small strokes, having seizures. Okay, now we know what we're dealing with. So that's causing a lot of the confusion. So just keep her very much in prayer. That's the update with all that with her. Karen's tests that were done Monday, April 5, tests were clear. Good. She had the EKG, she had the echo done that Monday. All tests clear. Good. So thank the Lord for that. But keep praying for Cordia, Karen, and Rick, because now Rick is realizing mother definitely has some serious problems. And Rick's been trying to maybe a little denying some of that, thinking, oh, no, no, it's not that serious. No. It is. So Rick realizes it, and it's very hard, yeah. very hard for him. So and other updates were made on our prayer guide, and I, I need to uh, report uh, we visited Harry Bricker 
uh, Paul and I, and he is staying, Dave and Tammy, the son and daughter-in-law at Palmera, on East Maple Street. That's where Harry is with them, living with them. They've made provisions for him. He's being well taken care of. But due to this terrible fire, it's been a terrible loss for him. Lost everything in his home, where he was born and raised, of course. And uh, I, we gave Harry a check for, from the church of the Nehemiah Fawn, and can I say the amount, of $1,000. And when I handed it to Harry, he just cried, and the two sons were there. Mike, his other son, was there also at the home. We were all crying. We've done a lot of praying for these people. I presented Harry with a prayer shawl, which I had gone to see Joyce and Earl. I got a prayer shawl that Joyce gave me for him special. And I also gave the daughter, Sally, that was next door to us, uh, her prayer shawl. So very well received. They're, they're just very humbled. It, it's sad. It's sad and it's glad. So I needed to share that, that, you know, we're just all, it's been a really, really hard two weeks and being neighbors two doors away. It's been real tough. But we've been neighbors for 57 years and there's never been a rift between us ever. We, our kids all grew up together. It's been great. Yeah. Okay, we'll keep Harry in our prayers as things move on. I guess it's going as well as we can expect. Uh, who else? I can always count on Nancy. <laughs> I guess I would add to that Nehemiah fund. That money is completely used to help people in need. And right. so if any member of the congregation wants to give to that, just put your envelope number maybe uh, with your donation so that way Linda can give you credit. Right. Right. But we had the opportunity Friday to see Jay Crady husband of Jennifer Crady that we've been praying for who has ALS and we asked him how she is doing and she can now barely speak anymore and he said he went to the gym six months ago he could barely move her from the wheelchair anymore his physical strength so he needed to start working out and he said now he is the head so he like comes to work and then he goes home at lunch takes her out of the wheelchair, does the toileting and whatever care she needs, and same thing in the evening. So he said he, God's giving him the strength to do that. And their oldest son is getting married next month, uh, and she'll be there for that. Their second son's graduating from college, and their daughter had gone to culinary school, is full and employed at Stouffer's. But I know many people know Jay, and... Uh, you just keep Jennifer and Jay in prayer. It's a tough. Absolutely. It's a terrible disease. Anyone else? Okay. We will move on. We have two hymns, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, if you want... I apologize in advance for the length of this reading, but when the Holy Spirit comes calling, you just, you got to listen. So this is entitled, Living for Christ in the End Times. The Bible clearly teaches us that society will degenerate in the end times, becoming as evil as it was in the days of Noah, 
and that's Matthew 24, 37, 39. The Apostle Paul, speaking as a prophet, says that society will descend into a black pit of immorality, violence, paganism, and lawlessness. Wow. That sounds just like the evening news, doesn't it? So what then are those of us who love Jesus to do facing a wave of ridicule, harassment, and persecution for our faith? How shall we live for Jesus in the end times? Dr. David Regan, one of the main sources for this reading, has guidelines to share with us. Here we go. Number one, order your priorities. The starting point is to review your priorities and make sure God is first in your life. Be honest with yourself. Don't play games and don't kid yourself. Many Christians have allowed these priorities to get very mixed up, using job or career as number one, family is usually second, and sadly, God is third or even fourth behind an obsession with sports or something similar. Ask yourself this question. If God were to give you the opportunity to make one request, what would it be? Would you ask for money? Would you ask for power, fame, success? Solomon asked for wisdom, but David, he asked for something far more profound. He asked for intimacy with God. And because he put God first, he states in Psalm 27 that he did not fear life or death. And it's also the reason he is remembered as the man after God's own heart. Number two, stand on the word. The Bible says the end times will be an age of deception. In fulfillment of that prophecy, we are today being bombarded with false but alluring religious systems offered by cults, Eastern religions, and the ever-present New Age movement, whatever that is. Don't be fooled. Anyone can be deceived. If we are to guard ourselves against deception, we must get into the word and stay in it on a daily basis. Also, we must test everything by the word. 1 John 4, 1 tells us that. This means being alert to the twisting of scripture or the manipulation of verses out of context. We need to remind ourselves that from every book in the Bible, prophetic scripture shouts to us, lift up your hands and your head and rejoice for God is in charge. Number three, believe in the power of God. Old Testament scripture teaches that God never changes. That's Malachi 3.6. And the New Testament specifically states that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Hebrews 13.8. There is no way we can cope with end times society in our own strength. Anyone who tries will fail. Our only hope is to turn to a God who is alive and well, who still, still sits on the throne, who hears prayer and answers prayer, and who still performs miracles. Thank you, Lord God. Did you know that the Bible teaches that we can limit God by our unbelief? This is a great paradox. Think about it. Although God is all-powerful, we who are powerless in comparison can nonetheless limit his power by our un unbelief. That's not my opinion. 
That's Mark 6, verses 1 through 6. His power by his excuse me, his power by our is can nonetheless limit his power by our unbelief. This is because God is a gentleman in that he will not force himself on us. If we want to try to cope with our own healing, we'll turn you loose. God's plan is to let each one of us choose his or her eternal destiny. Number four, persist in prayer. One of the greatest blessings God has given believers is supernatural communication. I just love that. Supernatural communication. God cares for us personally, and he desires to communicate with us, and because he loves us, he earnestly desires our fellowship. Unfortunately, the tragedy is that many professing Christians seem to be inclined to turn to prayer as a last resort. Some of the reluctance to seek God in prayer is due to pride, and the scriptures continually exhort us to humble ourselves. That's 1 Peter 5, 6. Others fail to depend on prayer because of unbelief. They either think God doesn't care, or else they don't think he's no longer active in history. James 4.2 tells us, we do not have because we do not ask. And I wonder, how many blessings of God have we left on the table because we tried to handle our problems on our own? Come on now. Hello. Number five. This is a big one. Reliance on the Holy Spirit. Many professing Christians seem to be fearful of the Holy Spirit. This is usually due to lack of knowledge. For instance, there is a tendency to write off the Holy Spirit as some sort of impersonal force, like the force from Star Wars. Now that might sound silly to you, but I can remember a time in my earlier walk with the Lord kind of feeling that way. It wasn't until I got a little older that I realized just how much real estate he wanted to occupy in my heart and soul. We need to understand or remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the supernatural presence of God in the world today, and he performs a dual role. For the unbeliever, he is God's evangelist. He's the one who works on human hearts to draw them to the cross in repentance. John 6, 44 and 65 tells us that no one is saved apart from the testimony of the Spirit. With regard to the believer, the Holy Spirit is God's indwelling presence to provide us with power and guidance. He is our enabler and so much more. Ephesians 5:18 calls us to be filled with the Spirit. This can happen only if we are willing to release the Spirit to become the Lord of our lives. He does not want to be simply a resident. Oh, no. He wants to be a permanent presence, which begs the question, is the Holy Spirit on the throne of your life, or is he being treated as an unwelcome guest? And we need to be sure, because there's no way we will be able to withstand the pressures of end-time society without relying on the power of God's Spirit. Number six, practicing tough faith. Hmm. Faith comes easily when everything's going smoothly. When there is good health and prosperity, it's easy to praise the Lord. The test of faith 
comes when circumstances of life turn sour. We need to remember God has not promised believers a rose garden. I kind of thought that when I joined the church at a, a young age. I thought everything was going to be, like you said, everything was going to be wonderful. The wicked prosper, justice seldom prevails, and it's easy for the righteous to become discouraged. This calls for the practice of tough faith. So what is tough faith? It is not dependent on circumstances. It hangs in there when the going gets rough. And it confidently believes that all things work together for the goodness, for the good, excuse me, of those who love the Lord. Thank you, Romans 8:28, for that. That means a lot to me. Another point to be made is that God never promises that believers will be immune to suffering. Boy, howdy, don't we know that in the last year? What he does promise, though, however, is he walks with us through trials. He promises to be beside us when we pass through waters and walk through fire. And my personal favorite, he promises he will be there when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's Psalms 23, verse 4. Number seven, keep an eternal perspective. John 17, 11 and 16 tells us that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. This is a difficult principle to follow and constitutes a daily struggle. It's so easy to take our eyes off the Lord and focus instead upon the world in which we live. One of the world's greatest demands is that we conform to the world. And that is to say, the world's language, the world's dress, the world's entertainment, and the world's values. And that is why we are constantly exhorted in scripture to consider ourselves as aliens, exiles, and strangers who are just passing through this world. We are told to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. That's Colossians 3.2. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are warned to never, ever fall in love with the world or grow comfortable with it. Romans 12.2 and 1 John 2, 15, and 16. And we all know who C.S. Lewis was. He once said, we are to live like commandos behind enemy lines, preparing the way for the coming commander-in-chief. In other words, we are to live yearning for the day when Jesus will burst from the heavens to bring peace, righteousness, and justice to the earth. And... This brings us to the final guideline regarding how to live for Jesus in the end times. Look for Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Many Christians are so caught up in the world that they live thinking about anything but Jesus. This is very sad because Jesus' return is our blessed hope. And his return is imminent, meaning it can happen anytime. It could be happening as, as we speak, a week, a month, a year. You get the idea. I think we can all understand why people shudder at today's headlines. The daily news shows an alarming disintegration of the world order and security. We see growing disorder now and chaos ahead. And we may even wonder 
whether God has turned his face away from us. The admonition of Paul should spur us to action. He says it's high time to awake out of 